Welcome, 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 welcome everybody to the Neurological Deep Dive. I am your host, Ferret Fawns. And today, of course, we have Gospel Dawn and what the Bible says about Israel. Hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening. Welcome everyone to the Gospel Hour with Dawn. I want to thank K&M Studios and Fonts for featuring the Gospel Hour. And today's topic is what the Bible says about Israel. I'm going to talk about the future restoration of Israel and the proper treatment of the Jews. And I'm going to try to cite a lot of Bible verses and references. And hopefully uh, this will make sense of what's taking place in the Middle East right now. Because we all know that at this time there are problems taking place. And um, I want to make sense of all this by using the Bible. In Genesis chapter 16, we read this. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my go in unto my maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Okay, so just reading that much, all the problems that are taking place in the Middle East basically basically stems from the fact that Abram hearkened unto his wife. There are many apparently unselfish acts that are in reality selfish. It appears here as though Sarah was being unselfish, but it was really a selfish act. And uh, so we could see how that Sarah was asserting her will here and talking her husband into doing something that was not right because she wanted a child. And of course, God couldn't give her a child. He, he withheld her from having a child. And so um, she had an idea and she talked Abram into going into his slave girl and the Egyptian girl. And through that union came Ishmael And Ishmael was the first son of Abraham, or Abram. At the time, his name was Abram. And it is said of Ishmael, I'm reading now in Genesis chapter 16. It says, And the angel of the Lord, verse 11, said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. That was mentioned in Genesis chapter 16. And we can see that the children of Ishmael would be many of the Arabs. 
and uh, and I'm not saying Arabs are bad people, but God is saying that these people will be wild and they'll be against every man. And so um, that's causing some of the problems. So we can blame Abram for listening to his wife. And uh, people today, thousands of years later, are feeling the effects of their sin. So I want to first ask this question. Who are the seed of Abraham? Well, the, the seed of Abraham are the physical descendants of Abraham. In other words, it would be the, the Israelites or the Jews. Now, we know that Ishmael came from Abraham also, and God said he would make of Ishmael a great nation, and many people would come from Ishmael, and that is true. But they were not the chosen ones, the ones that God had promised. The ones that God had promised came from Isaac, because Abraham later on had a son, and his name was Isaac, and he had that son through through Sarah. So who are the seed of Abraham? It is the physical descendants of Abraham. And all the apostles were physical descendants of Abraham. And you can read about that in uh, Romans chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And also in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, we read, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So Israel is, uh, they are the descendants of, of Abraham, said very clearly, called the seed of Abraham in Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Who else are the seed of Abraham? Well, the seed of Abraham are the believers in Christ. And you can read about that in Galatians chapter 3. And in verse 7, it says this, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And also in verse 29, same chapter, it says, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Abraham's seed are those who are the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's another definition of the children or the seed of Abraham. And then, of course, the other one is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, when it's referring to the seed of Abraham as being Christ. Not seeds, plural, but seed, singular, and referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, so the Lord Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Here's another question. Will the line of Abraham, the Jewish people, ever become extinct or lose their identity? Well, based upon the following Bible texts, I believe the answer is no. Now, I'm not going to look at all these texts, but you can. Um, I'm going to cite them and you can look at them yourselves. Isaiah 66, 22 says that the Jewish race will never be extinct. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11. And I'm there right now, and I'm going to read it. It's in verse 11, and it says this, For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. 
but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Also, Jeremiah 31 and verse 35, we read this, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from me, depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. And then verse 37, it says, Thus saith the Lord, If heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. So we, we read in verse 36, it says the ordinances or the decrees, the permanent rules of action of the uh, stars, if those things, the stars and the sun, if those things cease, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation. Well, that word nation is an old English word. It, it's referring to the Jewish race. The word nation originally denoted a family or a race, a race of people, a race of men. So the Jewish race, according to this verse, will never cease to exist. Also, Jeremiah chapter 46 and verse 28 says the same thing. So we're seeing it quite a bit in the Bible. Verse 40, uh, chapter 46, verse 28, it says this, Fear thou not, O Jacob, my servant, saith the Lord, for I am with thee. For I will make a full end of all the nations whither I have driven thee, but I will not make a full end of thee, but correct thee in measure. Yet will I not leave thee wholly unpunished. So again, you see that the Jewish people or the Jewish race will never become extinct. These are just four uh, references that I've given you. But there's also Matthew 19, verse 28. There's Romans chapter 11, verse 26, where it says that all Israel shall be saved. And that's Paul the Apostle speaking, and he's speaking future. So that means the, the Jewish race or Israel will, will continue to exist. And then you read about Israel in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, and also in chapter 7, 1 through 8. So these verses all show that the Jewish people will never lose their identity or will never cease to, to exist. The Jewish race has not lost its identity in the mind of the apostle of the Gentiles. You can read about that in Romans chapter 11, verse 13. In Romans 11, the apostle Paul points out clearly that he recognized a distinction between the Israelites and the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32, he made a distinction between the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. It reads, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. So you see that there are three distinctions, three distinct groups. There's the Jewish race or the Jewish people. Then there's the Gentile. A Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. 
And then there's the church of God, which is, that's the people of God. And they would be the, the ones that are made up of Jew and Gentile. So all those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, follow the Lord Jesus Christ, they would be called uh, the church of God. Or those that uh, receive Christ as their head, their master, their ruler, that would be the church of God. And that's made up of Jew and Gentile. Since the Apostle Paul had recognized the race of Abraham as a literal and distinct race, even in his time after the church came into being and was more and more becoming comprised of Gentiles, then the Old Testament promises, promises made concerning Israel and the land most likely had to be accepted as literal in the mind of Paul. There can be no doubt that Paul, even after the Jews were increasingly rejecting Christ, recognized a biological seed of Abraham. And I already read verse 1. I'm going to read it again. This is in Romans chapter 11, verse 1. It says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, same chapter, verse 7. It says, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So this shows that Israel is not the same as the church, necessarily. Now, there are some Jews that are Christians, but here he's speaking of Israel as a distinct nation or people group. It says, Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. He's referring to salvation because in chapter 9 of Romans, it says, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? In other words, why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. So that's why the Jewish people generally rejected Christianity because they were not seeking salvation and righteousness through faith or by faith in Christ. Verse 11 of chapter 11, here's another verse that shows that there's a distinction between Israel and the church. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Notice it says, have they stumbled? Who's the they referring to? It's referring to the Jews, the Jewish people. It's referring to Israel. Have they stumbled? Israel stumbled. That they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, through the fall of the Jews, came salvation to the Gentiles. So that's what that verse is showing. It's showing a distinction between the Jews and the church, meaning the, the followers, the believers in Christ. Also in verse 26, it says, So all Israel shall be saved. Who is he referring to? Not the church. And you can see here clearly that Israel is distinct from the church because it says, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, 
when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Who's they referring to? It's referring to Israel, not the church, because the church is not the enemy of Christ. The church is not the enemy of God. The believers in Christ are not the enemies of God. So it says, as concerning the gospel, they, referring to Israel, are enemies for your sakes. In other words, to your advantage. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. And then he goes on. And if you keep reading, you'll see clearly that Israel and the Church of Christ are distinct. So I'm going to read this statement. There can be no doubt that Paul, even after the Jews were increasingly rejecting Christ, recognized a biological seed of Abraham as well as a spiritual seed of Abraham. And I already talked about the spiritual seed. That's in Galatians chapter 3. All the believers in Christ, those are the spiritual, those are the real children of, of Abraham, meaning the spiritual children of Abraham, those that have faith in Christ. So Paul recognized the Jew as both a spiritual and upright person, and you can read about that in Romans chapter 2, but he also recognizes the Jew as a member of a distinct ethnic group, and you can read about that in chapter 9. And verse 1 to 5, he's talking about a specific ethnic group. It says, chapter 9, verse 1 of Romans, it says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Speaking of Christ, by the way, Christ is God Almighty. Christ is God. He is God blessed forever. But here you can see that the Israelites are a recognized group, a distinct ethnic group. And um, that was in Paul's day. And of course, there is a future for these people. The Abrahamic line was, in the providence of God, maintained in its separateness in Paul's day, in spite of their present state of unbelief. And again, you can read about that in Romans 11, chapter 11, verse 23, all the way to 31. So the Jews, or the Jewish people, as a rule, as a general rule, they are in a state of unbelief. They're not following Christ. They're not believing in their Messiah. In Paul's mind, the identity of the Jew was not replaced by the church. Both Israel and the Church of Christ existed at the same time in Paul's day. And I believe it, it exists at the same time today also. The Apostle Paul also said this. He said, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, 
and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And that's in Romans 11, verse 26. Paul's It Is Written Here seems to be a quote from Isaiah 59, 20, Isaiah 60, verse 21, or also it could be a quote from Psalm 14, verse 7. According to Paul, who lived 2,000 years ago, the lineal descendants of Abraham, Israel, in other words, had not only a future in store for them, but also a bright future. So God is not done with Israel. That is very clear, according to Romans 11 and these passages that I just mentioned. So that's the answer to the question, will the line of Abraham, the Jewish people, ever become extinct or lose their identity? The answer is no, they won't. Question number three, whose name is the true God, by whose name is the true God called? Well, the Bible identifies the one true God as, and I'm quoting David Hunt here, the Bible identifies the one true God as the God of Israel 203 times in the Bible. The God of Jacob, 28 times. The Bible refers to the true God as the God of Abraham, 17 times. The God of Isaac, 13 times. Never is God, the true God, called the God of any other ethnic group. To profess to believe in God and at the same time to hold a prejudice against God's chosen people, the Jews, or against Israel, which turns these clear biblical identifications into meaningless titles, casts doubt upon whether one really knows the true God. I'm continuing a quote from David Hunt here. Quote, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. And he's quoting here Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. He goes on, Clearly, this was the identity of the true God then. It is now and will be forever. God never changes. End quote. That's all from Dave Hunt from the Berean Call. He also says this, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And he quotes this also, quote, If the nation of Israel is dead or has been replaced by the church and does not have an eternal future, then the very term God of Israel would not be to God's glory, but a slur upon his character in view of his many promises that Israel would never cease to exist. And, and we looked at that, and that's an end, end quote from David Hunt. If Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob as individuals, or Israel as a nation, have limited existence, then it would be an insult against God to be called by any of their names. For God has unlimited existence. So that's the answer to that question, by whose name is the true God called? He's called the God of Israel 203 times, 
the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham. So um, that I think that answers that question. He, number four, should the governments of the world do what they can to support the state of Israel? I say as a rule, the answer is yes. But I want to say this. Each government of each nation is first responsible to take care of its own business at home. Governments are to preserve the freedoms and God-given rights of their own people first and foremost. If any government does a good job protecting the rights of its own people and has available resources and ability to help other nations do the same for their people, then yes, good governments should help out other good governments. Free and prosperous nations should do all they can to promote goodness, freedom, and prosperity in other lands, but only if they are able to and if they can do so without harming their own citizens. It is wrong for governments to give away money and resources they don't presently have. It is wrong for governments to violate its own laws or to borrow money or overtax its citizens in order to give to other nations. The best things that America can give to other nations are the truths of biblical Christianity, the concepts, the concepts of free enterprise, the principles of government as understood by our Christian founding fathers. These are the things that American, America can export to other countries, including Israel. So yes, we should help Israel to follow the Bible, to put into practice the Bible, the principles of the Bible. Based upon Genesis 12.3 and Psalm 12.5, I believe all governments ought to help out Israel as much as they are able to without supporting them in any form of corruption. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, this is a promise that God gave to Israel, or should I say not to Israel, he gave this promise to uh, Abraham. And it says this, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them or and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's amazing. And right before that, God says to Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And then he says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all, all families of the earth be blessed. The Apostle Paul said, The Jews were beloved for the Father's sake, or for the Father's sakes. In Romans eleven twenty eight, the word beloved means loved or dear to the heart. Christians should make a special place in their hearts for the Israelites, even as Paul did. Paul prayed for their conversion, and he said he loved them. He loved the Jewish people. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Well, we should care for them. Obviously, we want them to be saved. 
The Jews were dear to the heart of Paul because of what their fathers did. No ethnic group has blessed this entire world more than the Jewish people. I think I want to make that an emphatic statement. I think that is so obvious if you know the Bible. No ethnic group, no race, of no human race has blessed this entire world more than the Jewish people. Why do I say that? They gave us the oracles of God, meaning the writings of God, the scriptures. And you can read about that in Romans chapter 3, verse 2. They gave us the pure worship of God in the Old Testament. That was all the pure worship. God told Israel how to worship. And the setting up of the tabernacle and then the temple and all the stuff that was taking place, the sacrifices, that was all organized by God and given to the Jews. They had the pure worship of God. And the Jews gave us the Christian system. They gave us the Bible and they gave us the Savior. The greatest man who ever lived on this earth was a Jew, a man. He was a real man and a real Jew, came from the line of Abraham and from the line of Jacob. He did not come from the line of Ishmael. Jesus came from the line of Abraham, and that's made clear in Romans chapter 1. It gives the genealogy there. God did so much good to this world through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their descendants. And for this reason, we owe all of them due respect and gratitude. If we curse or injure them, God will curse us. Remember, they are called the apple of God's eye. We all carefully guard our eyes. If somebody's going to swing at us, we're going to protect our eyes basically first. Well, the Jewish people... The children of Israel are the apple of God's eye. But I could say even more so, those who are believing in Christ, they too are the apple of God's eye. God will protect, and God really cares about his prophets, his saints, his true saints, and uh, his people, the Christians. So we are, we Christians are the apple of God's eye too. And um, if you hurt a Christian or hurt a Jew, God um, takes offense to that to a great extent. So yes, the Jews did crucify their Messiah. They crucified Christ, yeah. The Romans were in on it. The Gentile world was in on it too. And the Jews did many wicked things in their past. I'm not going to argue that. And you could go on and on and talk about all the sins that the Jews have committed. Yes, but, you know, at the same time, the Romans committed many sins. The English committed many sins. The Arabs committed many sins. The French committed many sins. The Muslims, the Roman Catholics, the Americans, we've committed our share of sins. The Indians have com committed many sins. The white people have committed sins. The blacks have committed sins. I mean, we can go on and on. Every racial group have, has done wrong in the past. But God still loves the whole world, and we still have the right to life, unless it's forfeited by a crime, and, and, and if that crime is punished through due process of law. 
But the fact that the Jews were evil at times does not give us the right to demean them or to ignore their plight. As it is proper to respect, favor, and do good to the descendants of George Washington or Noah Webster or Patrick Henry or Robert E. Lee, men who have blessed our nation, so is it proper to respect, favor, and do good to the descendants of Abraham and Jacob and the descendants of David. All these men have blessed our world to to a great extent. In Psalm 12.5, it says this, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, will 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 now I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. If God defends the needy and the oppressed, then so should we as individuals, and so should the ministers of God, who are the powers that be. We should all seek to protect the needy and the oppressed and the innocent, the innocent people. But we must keep in mind that it is never right for governments to oppress, deceive, tax heavily, or treat unjustly its own citizens in order to help out other countries in need. So yes, we should protect Israel, but not hurt America in the process. And uh, just like we should protect other nations that are trying to do good. And, uh, And I'm not going into the leadership of Israel. I believe the leaders of basically every government in this world right now are corrupt, including America. So I'm not saying that the, the leadership of Israel, of the state of Israel, I'm not saying that these, these are all uh, perfect people or good people necessarily. I believe there are some good people in there, just like there's some good people in our government. But uh, the issue is the state of Israel are there are people Jews are human beings just like other human beings we've all done our share of crimes and, and wrong but that doesn't mean we don't that doesn't mean we ought to be exterminated and that's what's going on there is a movement to exterminate the Jews right now governments should help out oppressed the oppressed and defend those who are appointed to destruction according to proverbs 31:8 and plead the cause of the poor and the needy But these acts of kindness need not take on the form of government giveaways. The money usually ends up in the wrong hands anyway. Governments must never violate their own constitutions in their efforts to do good. Instead of giving away money, America could sell useful machines and equipment or open up trade with them or sell technologies and expertise But most of all, send Christian missionaries to these nations. And uh, that's what the solution is. It's for people to turn to Christ and to start to live a righteous life. That's the uh, solution to every bad country, by the way. Going into debt, printing fiat money, or taxing its citizens to death in order to help out Israel, I believe, is irresponsible and immoral. Or we could say in order to help any nation. It's just simply wrong to do that. Here's another question. What will happen to people and nations who go against Israel? 
Well, I already said, cursed is he that curses Israel. I already read that verse in Genesis 12 and verse 3, where it says, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. So, in other words, if we go against Israel, uh, we will be cursed or injured by God. God may punish us for it or take away our blessings. But according to that verse, and also in other verses, in Psalm 83, if you would read Psalm 83, that's quite an interesting psalm. It talks about what happens to people that work against Israel. Now, I'm going to read part of it. It says, uh, Psalm 83, verse 1 says, Keep not thou silence, O God, hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. Verse 2, For lo, thine enemies make a tumult. Whose enemies? God's enemies make a tumult. That means an uproar. And they that hate thee, referring to God, have lifted up the head. In other words, they're showing their confidence and their haughtiness. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people. Whose people? God's people. And have consulted against the hidden ones. Okay, so there are people that have conspired against the people of God. Why? Because they hate God. And that's really the problem, is they hate God. People who uh, want to ruin uh, Israel or destroy them or wipe them off the face of the earth. Their problem is really against the true God. Verse 4 says, They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. And there are people who have said basically the same words. Many of the people that are fighting against Israel right now as I speak, they basically want Israel to be no more. That the name of Israel be no more in remembrance. And then it says, For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. Okay, in other words, they're conspiring and uniting against who? Against God. And how are they taking out their anger against God? By going against God's chosen people. Or God's people, the Jewish race, who God is not done with. He will bless them. They're not in belief right now, and they're not following God right now, but someday they will. And then it goes on, and uh, I don't think I'll read the rest of the ch chapter, but it's really worth reading because it talks about how the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel, it mentions a lot of the enemies of Israel. Hagarines, Hagarines, which would be people that come from Hagar. It mentions the Ishmaelites. It mentions Asher, which is really Assyria. These were all the enemies of Israel. And uh, they were all, they, their countries were all basically cursed and lost their power. Egypt is a, is a big one. It was, it was the powerhouse of the world, Egypt, at one time. And then they got some slaves from Jacob, the children of Jacob, and they made slaves out of them. 
And what did God do? God cursed their country because those people did not belong to Egypt. They belonged to God. And um, so if you keep reading, you, you, you'll see how God will punish those that, that go against Israel. Now, here, what, remember, I'm asking the question, what will happen to people and nations who go against Israel? Well, if you turn to Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 9, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Chapter 14 of Zechariah, and verse 3, it says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, referring to the Jewish nation. And um, in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, it mentions that Israel is the apple of God's eye. Now, here's another good verse. It's in Zechariah chapter 12, and I'm beginning to read a verse 1. It says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, the burden means basically the message, something heavy uh, that God wants to say. And then it says, uh, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in sea, in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Well, just recently, last week, people from uh, the Gaza Strip basically had Israel in a siege. Basically, they attacked Israel. And um, it does say that, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. In other words, a force to be reckoned with. And then it says in verse eight, uh, verse three, right after it says, "And that, and in that day, will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it." Okay, God said in Zechariah 12, verse 3, that Jerusalem will be a burdensome stone. That means a very heavy stone, an immovable stone, kind of. It will be very hard to move. And those that try to move it, those that burden themselves with it, shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. So what will happen to those that go against Israel? Well, they're going to pay a price. And uh, they're going to fail to destroy this country. And the reason why is because these people, this is the nation, this is the land of Israel. Whether we want to believe it or not, that is mentioned often in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 12, we read, For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. The, the word thee here refers to the people of God and or the people of Israel. And you can prove that by looking at 
the first part of chapter 60, verse 3, 5, and 11. Those verses will show that this is referring to Israel or the people of God at the time. And uh, so we should serve them in, 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 a, in the right way, of course. Not promote them in sin, but be on their side, as, as, as so to speak, or to definitely be on their side. In Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46, the brethren of Christ, in verse 40, predominantly or probably refers to the righteous. And uh, I would get that from verse 37. Or it refers to those that do the will of God. And clearly, those that do the will of God, the real brethren of Christ, are those that do the will of God. It says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48 to 50, also in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, those who are the saints or those that do the will of God, they are the brethren of Christ. But these brethren may also be referring to the children of Israel, but I'm not going to be dogmatic on that. I'm not positive, but it could mean that. I think it could be applied to that those that mistreat good people or God's people will, will, will be punished, or those that mistreat the innocent. In Galatians chapter 6.10, we are instructed to do good unto all men as we have opportunity, and this certainly includes those who are in a state of unbelief, as many Jews are today. Doing good unto all men means promoting the well-being of all individuals, nations, and peoples, regardless of their religion, their ethnic background, or their skin color, which means, obviously, yes, we should do all the good we possibly can do for the Palestinians and for the Philistines or f for those that are uh, even that are doing um, these uh, atrocities. We should do good. But remember, let me define here what I mean by doing good. I believe the best thing you can do for a criminal is to bring him to justice. So let me just read this little comment I made here. We are even required to do good to those who are immoral, idolatrous, or criminal. But the good we must do should take on the form of meeting their needs as we are able to. The immoral may need food, water, shelter. They may need instruction. They may need disapproval. They may need reproof. If they're in your church, they may need to be excommunicated. Or in your country, they may need to be banished from the country. They may need that. Or they may need to be punished, either corporally whipped and punished in their body, or punished capitally, meaning the death penalty. That's what they may need. They may need the death penalty. So it doesn't, so you see, we got to meet the needs of all people. Some people need to literally receive the death penalty because that's the best thing you can do for society. And by the way, it can even be a good thing for them in many ways. And uh, let me just give you an example of how the death penalty could even be good for the one who's going to be receiving the death penalty. Let's say you commit a crime, and it's a capital crime, and you're getting the death penalty, and you're going to be executed in one week from now 
and I believe executions should take place quickly. Okay, so you got one more week to live, and you know you're going to meet your maker in one week. What do you think you're going to do? My guess is you may try to really seek God and get right with God, and you may repent. You'll still be killed and, and receive the death penalty in one week, but you may actually repent. So think of the blessing of knowing the day you will die. That has a way of awakening you and a way of getting you to really think about getting right with God. So, yeah, the death penalty helps everyone when it's done through due process and only those who, that have proper authority should be do, uh, meeting out or, or um, delivering the death penalty. So all these things, the immoral may need food, clothing, shelter, instruction, disapproval, excommunication, may need punishment, depending upon our relation to them, also depending upon the official capacity we hold toward them, and also depending upon what is most in line with Bible principles. So that is an important thing I want to say. So if, if some people attack a country, those people need to be put to death, period. So I am all for the death penalty when it is properly done and when the Bible principles are followed. So it is certainly consistent with the Bible to seek to help and protect people who are being persecuted for simply belonging to a certain ethnic group. The Bible says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It says that in James chapter 4. So back, that's the question number five. What will happen to people and nations who go against Israel? Well, they will lose the favor of God upon their nation, even as all these nations in the past that have gone against Israel have lost their identity or lost their, their blessings. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Philistine, Philistines, which is, they call it Palestine now, but it's really the Philistines. They, I think they changed the name because the Philistines were the arch enemies of Israel. And now they call themselves Palestinians. And there never was a Palestinian state that I know of. Um, it was the Philistines that had a little corner there at one time. And of course, God told God told Israel to wipe them out, and they, Israel did not obey, and so that's why they're suffering the consequences of these Philistines today. But again, I want to make this clear too: that there are powerful people in high places with a lot of money that are behind all the the problems in the Middle East. So um, that I can't go into that, but that is another factor to consider in all this. Okay, question number six. Are there grounds for believing that the commonwealth of Israel will be restored to a higher degree of excellence than it has ever yet attained? I believe the answer is yes. And I'm just going to give you references. I'm not going to read them. A few references, and I'm not going to give you all of them because there's too many of them to name. There's Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 to 5. There's 
Isaiah chapter 30, verse 19 and 20 to 21. There's Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, and verse 17 through 25. There's Jeremiah chapter 23, and there's some in Ezekiel, but I'm going to mention, I'm going to just mention one in Ezekiel. I have to at least quote one of them. Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 25, it says this, Thus saith the Lord God, when I shall have gathered the house of Israel from the people among whom they are scattered and shall be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen, then shall they dwell in their land that I have given to my servant Jacob. And they shall dwell safely therein and shall build houses and plant vineyards Yea, they shall dwell with confidence when I have executed judgments upon all those that despised them round about them. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God. That's just one reference. Another good one is Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 21. And there's quite a few others. I'm not going to mention them. So if there will be no future restoration of the natural seed of Jacob, then words mean nothing, and it means the Bible is a book that is filled with lies if this does not actually happen. So all of promise, many, many of God's promises in the past have already come to fruition. They've been fulfilled. And we have every reason to believe this one will be fulfilled too. So is God done with Israel? The answer is no. There is a blessed future for the people of Israel. But it will never happen. Their blessing will never happen until they receive Christ as their Lord, their Master, and their God. And that's when Israel will be blessed. Number seven, question number seven. Will all Israel be saved? And by the word all, I mean a great part. And I believe the answer is yes. It says in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, I already read it. And so all Israel shall be saved. God is not done with Israel. In Romans 11, verse 26 to 31, Israel cannot be a reference to the Christian church or believers in Christ. Instead, the word Israel is referring to the Jews or to the physical descendants of Jacob because the words their unbelief in verse 30 cannot possibly refer to the unbelief of the believers. You, you don't speak of believers as them being in a state of unbelief. No, they're believing. So when it says their unbelief, it's referring to Israel. Israel is in a state of unbelief at present, by and large. The following passages seem to show that the children of Israel will be converted and will be saved in the future. And when I say the children of Israel, I mean the bulk of them, a great measure of them, just like a lot of Gentiles got saved uh, since, since the Jews crucified Christ. The gospel went to the Gentiles. The Gentiles really grabbed onto it, but it wasn't all Gentiles that believed in Christ, but a good portion of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, re did receive Christ. So that's question number seven. Question number eight, will 
Okay, question number eight. Will there be a future secular, political, and spiritual kingdom ruled by God on this earth? And again, the answer is yes. There will be a future secular, political, and spiritual kingdom ruled by God on this earth. And I'm not going to quote all the verses. There's quite a few of them. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 23. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, 14, and 27. Zechariah 14, 9. I already quoted that one. Zechariah 14, 9, yeah. And 14, 16 also. And I'm going to read here, and there's more, but I'm going to read Revelation Chapter 11, verse 15. It says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, this was prophesied about 2,000 years ago, 1,900 years ago, probably, more exactly. And uh, put in the Bible in Revelation chapter 11. And there's, it's hard to believe that this has come to pass. This, so this has to be future to today. So there is a day coming. And of course, the Bible is clear that Christ will return. And when he returns, he's going he's gonna to rule on this earth. He came the first time as a lamb to be a sacrificial lamb. But he's coming the second time to be the lion out of the tribe of Judah. And by the way, the word Judah is, that's where we get the word Jew. A Jew is a man of Judah. In other words, a Jew is one of the sons of Jacob. He's one of the sons of the 12 tribes of Israel. A Jew is a member of the kingdom of Judah after the separation of the 10 tribes. And it's first mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 6. The word Jew, that is. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 6. That's the first time you see the word Jew in the Bible. When Jesus arrived, the Jews were antagonistic toward him. The Jews were the blind followers of the Pharisees. They were scrupulous about traditions but careless about those things that Jesus taught as essentials. And this is a little bit about the Jewish people. They did crucify Christ. They were, they because they followed the Pharisees more so than their Old Testament. They did not really follow the Old Testament as carefully as they should have. And they, uh, they followed traditions of men and they were, they were following men, just like today. How many people, they don't, follow the bible they just follow bible experts and that's that's where you'll get into trouble we got to follow the bible so yes there will be a future secular political kingdom ruled by god on this earth according to isaiah 24 verse 23 and isaiah 59 20 and a few other verses it appears that jerusalem or zion shall someday be the center of worship on earth. Now, Zion, what is Zion? Zion is another word for the city of David, or it's another word for Jerusalem. 
Of course, it has some uh, spiritual significance also. And the Zion of the New Jerusalem would be called the New Zion, uh, speaking of heaven. So, yeah, the center of worship is going to be Jerusalem. Now, you can imagine that the devil and his crowd will want to control Jerusalem. And uh, I believe uh, the the implacable enemy, probably the greatest enemy of the Jewish people, is the Roman Catholic system. It's called Babylon. And God, in Revelation, says he will destroy Babylon. It's the, it's the Babylon the Great is what the Bible calls it in Revelation chapter 17. And um, Babylon will be destroyed. And it is Babylon that is producing the Antichrist or the New World Order. And the New World Order is nothing else but basically the principles of the Vatican put into implementation. It's basically the New World Order is really a New World Disorder, but you could also call it the Old World Order. It's when Rome controlled the world, controlled Europe. It's basically anti-Christianity. Now, remember, every antichrist has to pose as a Christian. And that's why the Roman Catholic Church uh, calls themselves Christian. But in reality, they are opposed to Christ in many, many ways. And many of the ways that they are opposed to Christ is um, secret. It's done secretly behind the scenes. So... Um, Babylon will be destroyed. Clearly, it says that in Revelation in the Bible. Next question. Why is there such a widespread disregard, contempt, and deep hatred toward the Jewish race and the Jewish state? Well, it's pretty simple. I already read Psalm 83 verse 1. It's God that they hate. And because they can't attack God, they attack his people. It's the same thing with the Bible. They can't attack uh, God, so they'll attack the word of God. That's why there are many new Bible versions. So why is there such a widespread disregard, contempt, and deep hatred for Jews or the Jewish race or the Jewish state? It's because God's written word came by the Jews. And the devil hates the written word of God. That's why if he can't corrupt it, he will try to get experts to redefine it or misinterpret it. I talked to somebody yesterday. I said, the truth is in the Bible. And he says, well, there, but the problem with that is there's so many bad interpretations. Well, that's another issue. The real, the bad interpretation is, is, is another issue. The fact is, the Bible does. It is the Word of God. It claims to be thousands of times. So that's why the Jews are hated. They gave us the Bible, the Word of God, the way of salvation. The Jews also gave us the Savior. As I said before, the, the, the Savior of the world is a Jewish man. All the founders of Christianity were Jews. And by the way, the whole Old Testament scriptures, every bit of it was written by Jews. And most of the New Testament, if not all the New Testament, but there's reason to believe that maybe Luke was not a Jew and he wrote a big part of the New Testament. But most of the New Testament 
was written by Jews. And of course, without the Jewish race, there'd be no Christianity because Christianity stems from the Old Testament. Almost everything about the Jewish people, except their past and present sins, reminds people of God. The existence of a Jew is proof that there's the existence of God, in other words. So this is why there's a movement to exterminate the Jews. This is why the Jews are a nuisance to so many people. People love darkness. They hate God. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want God to interfere with their plans and with their pleasures and with their lives. So they they have a problem with God. So, of course, they'll have a problem with God's people. Because of their unwillingness to turn from sin, many want no reminders of a God to whom they must give an account. Therefore, the great problem in the Middle East is not the Jew but the prevailing sin, deception, and blindness, which even the Jews have, because the Jews are in sin, and they are deceived right now, and they are in blindness. But this is the thing. God promised way back that his Jews will believe in him, that his Jews will keep existing, and that his Jews will have the land, that land there in Canaan. So faith in Christ and obedience to God's word is the only real solution to the Middle East problem. Satan is the enemy of God and of all souls. Anything that reminds Satan of God is disturbing to him and to his selfish, power-hungry minions. As atheists and leftists don't want anything in the public that reminds them of their duty to God, such as the Ten Commandments, the cross, the Bible, the nativity scenes, prayer, these same antichrists do not care about the Jews. Hence, Satan is the prime instigator of hatred for Jews. Furthermore, Satan knows Christ will return for his people, Israel. Satan knows that because he reads the Bible. If he, through his evil followers, can wipe out the Jews, Christ will then have no people to come to and for which to save. God will have no Israelites to seal in Revelation chapter 7 and no promised subjects for his future kingdom. All his promises to the Jews will fail. Satan hopes to make a liar out of God. All who are evil and far from God love to discredit God's promises, and so they would be glad if the burdensome stone, Jerusalem, the Zionists, would be cast into the sea. But they will not succeed, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. And that's what it says. That's a quote from Zechariah. It says, though all the people of the earth be gathered against it, they will not be able to move that burdensome, that very heavy stone called Jerusalem or Zion. So, and as I said, the Zionist movement is just the movement for Jews to have the right to live in Zion and in Jerusalem and to have their own land. So here's the last question. 
according to God. To whom does the promised land or the land of Canaan belong? Not only did the Jews acquire their land through legal means, but they also had it promised to them by God. Now, my understanding is the Balfour Declaration in 1917, I believe, they, Israel, or not Israel, Great Britain promised to give the land to the Jewish people. Well, they didn't actually get it till 1948. But um, apparently the land of, they call it Palestine, but the land of Israel used to belong to Turkey. And then Great Britain acquired it from Turkey. And then Great Britain had control of it. And they, according to their promise, the Balfour Declaration, they gave it to the, to the Jewish people because the Jewish people were being persecuted and put in ovens by Hitler, who hated the Jewish people and wanted to exterminate them. He called it the final solution. And so the Jews did acquire their land through legal means, but this is more important. God promised it to them. This promise that the land, improperly called Palestine, will belong to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for an everlasting possession, this promise will not be broken. And you can read about it in different verses in the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, Genesis 13, Genesis 17, Genesis 26. And I'm going to read Genesis 28 because this is a promise made to Jacob now. Jacob uh, was the son of Isaac and Isaac comes from Abraham and Jacob and Jacob was called Israel by the way and in chapter 28 of Genesis verse 13 it says and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, that means to thy descendants. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And definitely that promise came true because the seed of Jacob would be the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ blessed the whole world. But here you see clearly that the land where Jacob was at the time, he had a dream, dream of a ladder there. And at, when he was there, he was in the land of, I believe he was in Beersheba, which was the, the promised land. So in conclusion, I want to say this. Let us support the existence and the well-being of the state of Israel and the existence and the well-being of every country in the world, but especially the state of Israel, because they are, they are under severe attack, more so than most other states right now, especially right now. So let us not boycott companies just because they are from Israel or, do, or because they do business with Israel. That is not right. That is wrong. 
And the next time we meet a Jew or a Hebrew, a person of Jewish heritage, let us show respect and appreciation for his heritage. And at the same time, let us try to point him to the true Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you.